0: This podcast deals with adult subject matter, including depictions of drug addiction, prostitution, sexual assault, and rape. Parental guidance is suggested.
1: Officer Daniel Holtzclaw, with the police department for three years, is accused of raping and sexually assaulting women he pulled over while on the job.
0: He said, come on, come on, just a minute, just a minute. I said, sir, I can't do this. I said, you wanna shoot? Tell me your description of him. He's "He's, black. Okay. Blackmail? What did your daughter tell you? She said, I met this really hot cop. So this is good
2: evidence? Well, you tell me.
0: The following episode contains investigative events which occurred on August twenty first, 2014.
3: Welcome back to Bates Investigates, Season 1, In Defense of Daniel Holtzclaw. This is Episode 17. In the last episode, I wrapped up the allegations of 41 year old Northeast Oklahoma City resident Carla Rains. In the investigative timeline, Oklahoma City Police Sex Crimes Detectives Rocky Gregory and Kim Davis have documented seven accusers or alleged victims in this investigation. An investigation that started in the early morning hours of June 18, 2014, after 57-year-old Janie Liggins was pulled over for swerving while she was driving home from a male friend's house around 2 a.m. Within hours of that traffic stop's conclusion, Liggins made contact with police and reported that she had been sexually assaulted during that traffic stop. The officer was later identified as 27-year-old Oklahoma City Patrol Officer Daniel Holtzclaw. We are now two months into the criminal investigation, and detectives and prosecutors are ready to make the allegations against Officer Holtzclaw public. But first, they've got to get him into custody. It's August 21st, 2014, a Thursday, and Detective Kim Davis is sitting at her desk at Oklahoma City Police Headquarters, she's finishing up a probable cause affidavit for the arrest of Officer Daniel Holtzclaw. You'll recall back in Episode 7, I spoke with local defense attorney and former Oklahoma County Prosecutor Angela Sonagera. I recently sat down with her again and asked her to help explain exactly what's going on at this point in the investigation.
0: Uh, Thanks for having me on again. I appreciate it. Probable cause affidavit is usually referred to as a PC affidavit. It doesn't list all of the narratives. It doesn't list all the victims. It's just enough for a judge to say, yes, I believe there's enough probable cause to arrest this person.
3: Is it a, is it a very high standard that Kim Davis is going to have to overcome?
0: It's not huge, but there is you have to have probable cause to stop somebody and to arrest them. So they have to have enough for the judge to say that's in that documentation, because obviously arresting somebody is a very serious thing. They don't want to just issue an arrest warrant just because they have to make sure everything's in order.
3: Could we consider this a pretty one-sided, very short narrative of what at least the prosecution is alleging happened?
0: Yes, that's a good that's a good way of phrasing it, yes.
3: The three-page affidavit, which I have posted on this episode's homepage at holtzclawtrial.com in very damning language lays out the case that Holtzclaw is a serial sexual predator who used his badge to target and victimize at least seven women, ranging in age from 39 to 57. And the common thread amongst the listed victims? They are all black females, and all but one having a documented history of drug usage and or prostitution. Detectives Davis and Gregory take the completed affidavit to the Oklahoma County Courthouse. There, they seek out Judge Cindy Trong for her signature authorizing the arrest. Again, Angela Sonagera.
0: Well, usually the police will have the PC affidavit. They will take it to a judge that sometimes is on call. They kind of rotate, sometimes also like At night, if they want a search warrant, there'll be a specific judge that's on call and they'll go to their house. But they'll go to the courthouse, seek out some particular judge, sometimes it's just whoever's available, hand them the documents and the judge will look it over. If there is probable cause, they will sign the documentation and that will start the process rolling and they'll set a bond at that point usually.
3: Judge Trong is a former prosecutor in the Oklahoma County DA's office. She started there shortly after graduating law school in 2001. She worked as an ADA under District Attorney Wes Lane and his predecessor, David Prater. She was elected judge in 2010. She has held her office ever since without drawing an opponent. I just want to interject a brief disclosure. I know Judge Trong personally and I consider her a friend. I first met her when she was a prosecutor working for DA West Lane. I also volunteered to aid in her campaign when she successfully ran for election." Judge Trong reviewed the affidavit as prepared by Detective Davis. This document is the only investigative materials a judge will see before authorizing Officer Holtzclaw's arrest, which when executed unleashed local, national, and international media coverage and criticism.
0: I want to disclose that I worked with Judge Tronk, too, when she was an assistant district attorney. We worked briefly together, and I appeared in front of her as a prosecutor and briefly as a defense attorney when she had a criminal docket. She may have just been the presiding judge at that time or on call, like I said. Uh, the, the police will go to that judge, present the documentation, and there is no hearing, per se. The judge will look over the documents, as I said, decide whether or not there's a probable cause, And then things get filed. The process starts going. At that point, the defense attorney has no say in anything because the person hasn't been arrested. So there is no defense attorney at that point. But, yes, it is somewhat one-sided. I don't think it's a nefarious thing, though. It's just kind of how the process works. As soon as the bond is set and the person is arrested, the defense attorney will have an opportunity to lower the bond if, if they want to. It's, it's kind of like they're presenting the elements of each crime to the judge and the judge is saying, I believe those elements are there and that's enough to arrest somebody.
3: The PC affidavit presented to Judge Trong refers to each of the alleged victims by their initials and begins with the Terry Morris encounter. The affidavit, however, doesn't disclose that she told vastly different versions of the same allegations doesn't mention she couldn't pick Holtzclaw out of a photo lineup as her attacker or how she identified a different style of police patrol car, nor how Holtzclaw's AVL didn't match her story. Nevertheless, Morris's allegations resulted in a criminal complaint of forcible oral sodomy, which alone carries up to 20 years in the penitentiary. The affidavit next alleges Janie Liggins was forced to expose her breasts pull down her pants, and then perform oral sex on Officer Holtzclaw. Detective Davis points out that Liggins submitted to a SANE, or rape exam, but the affidavit fails to mention that the results of that exam did not support her allegations. From there, the affidavit focuses on accuser Tabitha Barnes, stating, quote, the defendant harassed her on various occasions, end quote and details how Officer Holtzclaw allegedly burglarized Barnes's home when he called in the open door on her residence, a residence that had recently been burglarized, conducted a protective sweep and encountered Barnes' boyfriend, Terry Williams. The affidavit states Holtzclaw told Williams he shouldn't be in the home and does it in a way as to make it seem nefarious on Officer Holtzclaw's part. And I'd argue that's mostly due to the fact Detective Davis failed to mention Williams was a registered sex offender, and indeed, he most likely should not have been residing in Barnes's home, which is close to a school, a public park, and Barnes herself has young children living in her house. The affidavit next details accuser Carla Raines. While Detective Davis is certain to mention that Raines claims Holtzclaw had her expose her breasts, She doesn't bother to mention she initially, and seven times, denied being a victim. And even when she does eventually implicate Holtzclaw, Rains admits he never directly told her to expose herself. With accuser Sherry Ellis, Detective Davis says that Holtzclaw encountered her at one location, allegedly forced her to perform oral sex upon him, and that he then drove her to a second location where he removed her from his patrol car and vaginally raped her from behind. This must have sounded absolutely horrific to the judge, especially considering there is no mention that Ellis described her attacker as a short, dark-skinned black male and that the location she claims she was taken to is not supported by the AVL evidence. Then there's accuser Florine Mathis, whom Detective Davis describes as being stopped at Northeast 18th and Kate Avenue, and that Officer Holtzclaw allegedly fondled her breasts on the top of her clothing. Interestingly enough, there is no mention that Mathis claims to be the housekeeper of accuser Tabitha Barnes, and that Holtzclaw's AVL shows he never encountered Mathis at Northeast 18th and Kate. Finally, The affidavit ends with accuser Carla Johnson and her allegations that Officer Holtzclaw touched her breasts and vagina while searching for drugs. All in all, the affidavit for arrest, prepared by Detective Kim Davis, calls for Oklahoma City Police Officer Daniel Holtzclaw to be arrested on nine criminal complaints. One count of rape in the first degree, rape by instrumentation, three counts of forcible oral sodomy, two counts of sexual battery, and two counts of indecent exposure. Once again, Angela Sonajera.
0: Rape is a very serious allegation, it's, you know, forcible oral sodomy. All of them are sexually based crimes. Those are some of the, the worst crimes that we have. Because of that, the ranges of punishment are pretty harsh. Some of them carry up to 10 years. Um, the rape charge carries five to life. Uh, so it's a big range of punishment, but those are, you know, for the most serious crimes. Sometimes the detectives will list out the crimes that they think have been uh, committed on their own based on their investigation. Sometimes when it's something like this, uh, when involving a, a high profile defendant or high profile suspect, it is done in conjunction with the DA's office. It is not uncommon for that to happen because a lot of times the police will have certain information and they're not sure maybe they have enough to arrest somebody or to charge somebody so they'll go to an ADA and say hey you know do we have enough here what do we need if we don't uh, what are we looking at if we you know is there something else we can use instead of this particular charge we're looking at so sometimes it is done in conjunction with the DA's office
3: just because they've listed certain charges in this uh, probable cause affidavit for arrest does that necessarily mean that's what he'll ultimately be charged with?
0: Not always. Typically what happens is they'll list the crimes they think have been committed by this person. And then when those get to the DA or the ADA, they'll go through and look at everything and see if those elements of those particular crimes are there. If they're not, they'll decline certain charges and or maybe change it to another charge that might fit a little better, fit the elements a little better. So it's not always the same thing as they start out with.
3: I'm not giving anything away here. Most people listening are somewhat familiar with this case. We're only at seven accusers, and we know ultimately there's 13. So obviously, at some point, additional charges are are going to be added. Um, And really, we're at nine, and we know ultimately he has 36 charges against him. Correct. So it's more of a kind of a fluid document. This is basically what is utilized, I guess, to get him in custody, and then charges are filed. But even once charges are filed, they can be amended and changed and those sorts of things.
0: Right. They can be amended right up into trial, basically, because you have certain information at that point, And like you said, you want to get somebody in custody if you think they're a threat to society. And so you charge them with what you have. And sometimes that goes on the news or is in the newspaper or somebody tells somebody else, and then more more victims can come forward, and then more charges may develop from that. And then even like when you get to like a preliminary hearing, if there's certain testimony, the charges can be amended at that point based on the testimony that was given. So it, it is a very fluid document.
3: Once the judge signs off on an arrest warrant, a lot of people, especially people who live in here in Oklahoma, are familiar with websites like OSCN and stuff like that. Typically, once they get an arrest warrant signed, how long is it before that becomes general public knowledge where even the defendant could be tipped off that there's a warrant for their arrest?
0: Generally, it doesn't take very long. It, it kind of just depends on how long it takes to get it on OSCN. Um, I've seen it happen in a matter of days, I've seen it take a few weeks. It, It really just depends on a high profile case like this it probably won't take very long because it'll be given top priority
3: which probably explains why immediately i don't think it's any accident that immediately after this was signed they went right out and put him under arrest
0: probably not
3: it's just after two in the afternoon judge Trong signs the arrest warrant and officers assemble to decide how best to take daniel holtzclaw into custody remember up to this point He hasn't been arrested or charged for anything. He was simply relieved of duty on June 18th and has been free to move about in any way he wishes with no restrictions. Detective Gregory decides it would probably be best to take Holtzclaw into custody somewhere out in the open, in public, and to try to catch him off guard. So they decide to call Holtzclaw and tell him they need him to speak with his major, Brian Jennings. Holdsclaw says he'll be at the gym in Northwest Oklahoma City and can step outside to talk. Less than an hour after the warrant is signed, a team of uniformed and undercover officers converge on the Gold's Gym in the 2300 block of West Memorial Road. As Holdsclaw steps outside, he's approached by Detective Gregory, who extends his hand in greeting, but then proceeds to place him under arrest. Here's how Detective Gregory described the arrest when he sat down with the reporter with the Daily Oklahoma newspaper.
2: They, we had, we was a little worried. He he was big. So had the gang guy show up and actually there was a major that had called him up there. Said, hey, I need to give you some paperwork. Me and my partner, Rob High, we go up there. And as soon as he turned around to see me, he knew what was going on. What was his face? Uh, shock, it, it, it was shock. Um, you could tell it's, I mean, I felt like his heartbeat was starting to go, uh, but he never was angry, anything, didn't show anything like that. Uh, I shook hands with him because I wanted it to be a, a calm interaction. Um, and then um, I just had him turn around, kind of explain, you know, So we have one for your rest. And, um, you know, we just, we don't want any problems or anything like that. You know, we're just doing what we're supposed to do. And and, uh, he was, he obeyed every command, you know, turn around and hands behind the back. And so I put the handcuffs on him. And and, um, just kind of went from there. We put them in um, one of the gang guys' cars. Uh, we followed them down to the county jail. They had to clear out the county jail. Anytime an officer arrives, everybody goes on lockdown and there is no inmates around. They don't want them seeing them, dealing with them. And it's for their protection, the officer's protection. And it is pretty quiet around there. That's usually one of the busier places. And I just remember going through with him, um, he was loud on the phone. You know, he was trying to give him some courtesy. who he call? I believe his uh, dad. And, uh, I mean, he was,
3: I, I can't remember whether he really cried then or not. Immediately after being placed into custody, Holtzclaw was transported to the Oklahoma County Jail, where he is formally booked in and has his mug shot taken. And, he wouldn't be released anytime soon, at least not under the current bail that had been set by Judge Trong. I asked Angela to provide us with some more details as to the assigning of bond and exactly when in this process it was set.
0: Probably right when that probable cause affidavit was signed because that's telling the police you can go arrest this person now. And you have to set a bond. And a bond is usually set by what's called a bond schedule, meaning there's like a list of charges and then they have certain prices or amounts that the bond will be. Like, for example, you know, maybe an assault and battery with a dangerous weapon will be $5,000 or, you know, trespassing will be $500. That just means that the judge looks at the person's um, charges whether or not they have prior charges or if there's you know two or three charges kind of add all the numbers together, that's the bond. and that's the amount that the person has to pay or have a bondsman pay to get out of jail. Uh, this bond is very unusual in that it was five first it was five million dollars and then for, secondly it's five million dollars cash. Uh, that's
3: and what does that mean when they say cash?
0: That means you can't go to a bondsman and put up what's called a surety bond where you just p- pay part of the bond. A cash bond means you have to pay all of it.
3: So have you ever in your career, um, how long have you been a lawyer?
0: Let's see, I think now, oh, one, so 18 years, 18, 18 years. years almost. Have
3: you ever seen a bond that was $5 million? No. Um, it, it's essentially no bond.
0: Essentially, yeah. Because most people would not have the means to secure that at all.
3: So he can't put up just a portion. There's no need to even call a bondsman because the judge has said, you have to put this up literally in cash.
0: Right. What most people probably don't realize is that a bond is not supposed to be a form of punishment. It's just supposed to ensure that you'll show up for your court dates. However, there there is not a presumption of innocence when a bond is set. The court actually set your bond with the assumption that you're guilty. And in this case, you know, those are very serious charges, Hence the high bond.
3: So it would so anyone who's th- maybe wants to criticize Judge Trong for the high amount, um, she, even though in the eyes of the law, there's a presumption of innocence until proven guilty, but specifically in Oklahoma law, it's the presumption of guilt whenever bond is actually set.
0: Right. And you also have the factor, too, the nature of these charges. They're bad. I mean, they're bad. They're not a trespassing charge. So the likelihood that somebody will run, or flee because of those charges are being filed or they're being arrested for them you know, is probably very high. It would be difficult for me to want to stay and face my accusers or go to court on a rape charge as opposed to a trespassing charge because the stakes obviously are much higher for a rape charge. Rape charge carries up to life in prison. You know, trespassing is maybe a fine or a misdemeanor at best. So that's part of the 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 bond setting too is the judge Kind of takes all of that together, and sets a number. And again, it's, it's a high-profile case. He has some notoriety. He's known probably at this point a little bit, if not in Oklahoma City, he'll be known nationwide soon. He, they've got to make sure he comes back to court.
3: And 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 uh, some of the insights I have, I know the judge was also told about the dna evidence that they had found and that they had not identified who it belonged to so potentially they they believed that there were additional victims out there that they had yet to identify and i think one of the concerns that somebody would have is you wouldn't want any defendant trying to reach out and intimidate other victims or potential witnesses right Um, and the best way to do that would be to keep them locked up right And something else a lot of people may not realize, but this comes up, it didn't in this case, but in other cases, uh, a lot of people will want to use a public defender because defense attorneys are expensive. But a lot of people don't realize, and I've come across this, if you manage to make bond, which bond in Oklahoma County oftentimes is pretty low, $500 to $2,500, and you only have to put up a percentage of that. A lot of people don't realize that when you exercise that right and you use a bondsman and you put that money up, there's a good chance you now will no longer qualify for a public defender. Has that been your experience?
0: Yes. Uh, Typically what happens is be in a courtroom and the judge will call the docket and someone will say, I just bonded out, but I need to get the application for a public defender. Then the judge will ask what their bond was. And if it's, you know, pretty high, like, you know, five, ten thousand dollars, then they'll say, well, you you can get the application and fill it up, but you're probably not gonna qualify for a public defender because those are for truly indigent people in their thought process or the system's thought process, I guess, is that if you can afford to bond out, even if somebody else did it for you, you can afford to get an attorney.
3: And then something else in a case like this where say bond is set at. In, in my opinion, and you tell me if this would be right or not, in my opinion, in Oklahoma County, a high bond is typically somewhere between fifty and $150,000. Yeah,
0: I would agree with that.
3: If a person has a bond amount that is set high and they can't make it and they feel that that was unfairly set too high, is there any sort of recourse or anything that a defendant can, can do if they, if they truly feel their bond was unjustly set?
0: Yes, they or their attorney can have a motion to reduce the bond. And what that is, is that's a hearing that's set in front of a judge, and the attorney will give a reason to the judge why the bond should be lowered, kind of like what we were saying earlier, that it's not supposed to be a form of punishment. It's just to ensure that you'll show up. So the, the attorney will, you know, point out the ties that they have to the community if they've lived in the state for a long time, if they have a job here, if they have relatives here, they have they, you know, something that ties them to this area and ensure their their appearance. And sometimes a judge will agree with that, sometimes they won't. Sometimes they'll take a passport or something else just to ensure it too. But the bond hearing is that avenue.
3: Almost immediately as Officer Holtzclaw is taken into custody and booked into jail, the media is alerted to his arrest and a press conference is called by the Oklahoma City Police Department. The story of an alleged serial rapist with a badge is breaking news. Despite many groups and individuals claiming this story received little or no attention, the truth is, the media coverage was immediate, intense, and spanned the globe. The following is a sample of the breaking news as reported locally by NBC affiliate KFOR News Channel 4.
0: CITY POLICE OFFICER ACCUSED OF SHOCKING SEX CRIMES.
1: SO FAR SEVEN VICTIMS HAVE COME FORWARD BUT POLICE SAY THERE MAY BE MORE. TODAY, COURT RECORDS ARE PROVIDING A TIMELINE OF THE DISTURBING ALLEGATIONS. OFFICER DANIEL Holzclaw with the police department for three years, is accused of raping and sexually assaulting women he pulled over while on the job. First at six, News Channel 4's Jesse Wells is covering that story and he's live in the newsroom with the very latest on the investigation. And Jesse, I know you have reaction from one of the victim's friends. That's right,
4: Kevin. According to court records, the sexual assaults began back in February and ended in June of this year. The sad thing is the story of one victim you'll hear in just a minute has been duplicated several times over by other women on the city's northeast side. An arrest warrant now details how the first allegations against Holtzclaw came to light in February. A woman claims Holtzclaw touched her bare breasts, adding that the victim had city warrants and Holtzclaw advised her to play by his rules and he would help her out. From there, allegations arose from different victims on March 14th, April 14th, May 7th, May 8th, May 26th, and lastly on June 18th. Following that alleged assault in June, here at Northeast 50th and Lincoln, Holtzclaw got pulled off the streets. All of his alleged crimes took place in the Spring Lake Division on the city's northeast side. So far, seven victims have come forward, all African-American women, and police admit there may be more that haven't come forward. We're hoping that this does not affect our public trust, but we know it, it probably will and it can't. Right now, Holtzclaw is still on paid leave while the case is investigated. He does remain, though, behind bars at the Oklahoma County Jail. He's being held on a $5 million bond. Let it back to you.
3: While the arrest of a police officer for multiple sexual assaults allegedly committed while on duty is newsworthy on its own, you need to keep in mind that at this time, local, national and international news was fixated on a racially charged incident out of Ferguson, Missouri. The August 9, 2014 fatal shooting of Michael Brown. An 18 year old black youth by a 28 year old white police officer named Darren Wilson. Just three days before Officer Holtzclaw's arrest in Oklahoma City, every news channel was leading with the uptick in violent clashes between protesters and police after a curfew was imposed and the National Guard was called out to restore peace. That incident is also known as the Ferguson Uprising, or Ferguson Race Riots. Like the civil unrest in Missouri, Oklahoma is now facing the same potential powder keg of what is being described as a white officer who intentionally targeted vulnerable African-American females. Though, in reality, Officer Holtzclaw is himself a minority. He's half Japanese. But that reality is often lost on a media and social justice mobs with a proven attention-grabbing agenda, white cop versus black citizen. It's while Holtzclaw is sitting in jail with a $5 million bond that his father, Eric Holtzclaw, begins contacting attorneys. One of those attorneys that he calls is high-profile criminal defense attorney Scott Adams. I recently sat down with Mr. Adams in his office at his law firm, Adams & Associates, located in downtown Oklahoma City. Another disclosure, Scott Adams and I are personal and professional friends. Best friends by most people's definition. I first met Mr. Adams many years ago probably around 1996, when he cross-examined me, more like crucified me, while I was on the stand as a witness for the prosecution to a crime his client had allegedly committed. Despite the defendant being convinced he was going to be found guilty, Mr. Adams worked his magic and the jury acquitted. Mr. Adams's take-no-prisoners approach to jury trial left an impression upon me. I hated that he embarrassed and belittled me on the stand But I admired his unapologetic defense of his client. When years later, in 2005, I found myself the target of an overzealous prosecutor who had me arrested and falsely charged with several serious felonies, I knew exactly who I needed to call. That experience of working with Mr. Adams and doing much of my own investigative work to prove my innocence is what convinced me to get my license and become a private investigator and work on the behalf of others. I now office out of Mr. Adams' law firm, and we actually have lived next door to each other as neighbors for several years. I've
1: been practicing law for 30 years now. I uh, graduated law school in 1989 from Oklahoma City University, and I've basically practiced exclusively criminal trial litigation.
3: You would be defined as, a, as an actual trial attorney. Yes,
1: that's literally all that I do.
3: There's a lot of attorneys who will take on criminal cases, but they, they're not known for going all the way to trial.
1: Yes, and over the years, we've had a reputation for going to trial.
3: Take me back to the day that I'm assuming you were first contacted by Eric Holtzclaw.
1: It was late summer of 2014, and I recall that I received a phone call from a, a police officer, and I believe he was a lieutenant from some other uh, police department here in Oklahoma. You know, prior to the phone call, I'd seen uh, some clips on the local media stations and in the newspaper that there was an officer who'd been arrested here in Oklahoma City. What I recall, and when I received the phone call, it was his father, and he is a lieutenant at a different police department here in Oklahoma, and uh, he started talking about his son, who was the officer who'd been arrested here in Oklahoma City, and I put two and two together and figured out they were the same people.
3: What was his reaction, or what was he saying to you, just... How do I get my son out, or what was his concern?
1: Well, you know, his, he was very methodical, and his number one concern was that his son was in jail, and he wanted to know what we could do uh, to get him out of that situation, which, you know, obviously at that point in time, I didn't have any information, so I didn't know. Uh, but that was his number one concern. His, number, his, his second uh, concern was that he felt that his son was being uh, charged inappropriately, that he hadn't done anything wrong, and, and that was his second concern.
3: And it'd be fair to say that up to this point, when when someone calls you to see about representation, the only thing you have to go on are the charging documents, right?
1: Unfortunately, when I get these phone calls like this, the only thing I have to go off of is what the government has suggested or what they filed, which in this case was a probable cause affidavit that had some of the information and that's all that I had.
3: Is it pretty typical that once you finally get to get to some actual evidence or discovery, that it's not nearly as nefarious as they write these reports?
1: A simple answer to your question is yes. I mean, typically the, the, they're skewed in, the, in favor of the state or the government. They typically leave out a lot of exculpatory type evidence and things of that nature. But still, when I recall, when I read this one, I was taken back by the sheer number of allegations.
3: Did Eric Holtzclaw? Did he know what the bond situation was at that point? Did he understand how dire it was?
1: Yes, he did. He knew that it, he knew that it was serious. I don't think that he understood how serious it
3: was what becomes your first priority? My,
1: my first priority in this case was to try to get Daniel out of jail. Uh, it's so much easier to, to work with a client and, and develop a defense. Obviously if your client is out uh, out of jail and it can have access to come into the office and things of that nature. But that was my number one concern is what could I do immediately if anything, to get him out of jail.
3: And in this case, Daniel had a $5 million cash bond. Had you ever seen anything like that in Oklahoma County?
1: Like I've said, I've practiced law for 30 years, and I can't recall another defendant ever having a $5 million bond in Oklahoma City.
3: So this, you think this was more the judge sending a message to the public as opposed to actually enforcing some sort of a bond schedule or something?
1: I, I, I do. I believe it was a message to the entire community that, uh, that uh, I, what they wanted people, number one, to pay attention to the case, but number two, for whatever reason, they were trying to make an example out of him.
3: What's the remedy when when it's such a high bond, which basically $5 million cash bond is a no bond, is there any legal remedy when they do something like that?
1: The only remedy that we have is to take it up with the district judge here who set the $5 million bond. If I can't get any relief with that particular judge, then I would have to take it up with the Court of Criminal Appeals here in the state of Oklahoma.
3: The Holtzclaw family, after speaking to several lawyers, eventually decide to retain Mr. Adams to represent Daniel. And, in the near future, Holtzclaw and his legal team will successfully argue for a more reasonable bond. Before that can happen, two more accusers will come forward. One will eventually admit to making up the entire story of being sexually assaulted by Officer Holtzclaw. The other, she'll claim Officer Holtzclaw followed her into her home and vaginally raped her in an upstairs bedroom. But those two stories are for the next episodes. If you'd like to see and read the actual arrest warrant, police reports, and links to original news coverage, as well as a transcript of this episode, I encourage you to check out this episode's homepage at holtzclawtrial.com. This serialized podcast of the state of Oklahoma versus Daniel Holtzclaw follows the timeline and perspective of the investigation, but with the scrutiny of the defense. If you've enjoyed this podcast, please take a moment to subscribe. And give us a five-star review you can also follow updates on this season's facebook page at in defense of daniel holtzclaw or on twitter and instagram at holtzclaw trial bates investigates season one in defense of daniel holtzclaw is researched produced and edited by me brian bates this has been a bug (laughs) stomper (laughs) production
0: (laughs)
4: Bugs.